Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. Our very own Dr. Tim Jennings spent some quality time with our fighting forces a few years back, and I always enjoy the insights he shares concerning that segment of his busy career. I've asked him to join us today via Skype to share with us some of the ways he helped military men and women deal with the unnatural aspects of war. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. Dr. Jennings, war and the human mind, what happens when these two elements combine? Yeah, thank you, Charles. I really appreciate you bringing this topic up. It's been many years, but I did serve in the U.S. military. did my residency training with the Army and served as the division psychiatrist for the 3rd Infantry Division. So my heart really has always got a special place for our armed forces and our men and women who put themselves in harm's way for us. And they really do suffer, especially if they've been in combat. And what we're going to talk about today, I want to be very clear, there's two types of, of traumatic injury. There's traumatic brain injury, which the actual brain itself, the organ, is damaged by like concussive forces. And that leads to a lot of neurological, cognitive, and coping problems later down the road. The uh, study at the VA looking at soldiers from enduring freedom, Iraqi freedom, and New Dawn from 2007 to 2015 found about 8.5% of uh, the veterans had a diagnosis of traumatic Ooh, brain injury. We will not be talking about TBI, traumatic brain injury. That's a physical damage to the brain from some type of concussive blast of some sort or head injury. What we're going to be talking about is post-traumatic stress disorder, the impact on the mind of combat and trauma. And that is an impact that also will affect the brain based on how we process and experience the trauma. So this is about the situational, emotional, experiential trauma of combat, not the physical damage directly to the brain from concussive force is what we'll be talking about. Yeah, and you bring up an important point because some people come back from the war and they're not altered, where they don't have PTSD like you're talking about. Some people do and some people don't. Have they figured out why some people are affected and some aren't, or will that come out in your answer? Well, that's a great question, and there are multiple variables, and we'll talk about some of them. One of them is genetics. People have different gene makeups, and we have identified that with certain genes, if you carry certain genes, then you have a higher risk of developing PTSD with the same trauma exposure than people with different genes. Other genes give you lower risk. So our genetic makeup make us more vulnerable has to do with things like how sensitive we are to the stimuli. We will react with more intensity to the same stimuli if we have certain genes than other people, and that can make us more vulnerable to the post-trauma experience developing the symptomology. But that's not the only thing. There are genetic variables, but there are also belief variables, mindset variables. Other factors about this include what we understand about the meaning of the process itself, not just the event, but how the event is experienced, internalized, and understood. This has a huge impact on whether we experience it in a traumatizing way or not. The more frightened we are, the more vulnerable we feel, the more helpless, the more abandoned, the more isolated, the, if there's a sense of betrayal, all of these aspects, if we have that as part of the experience, then we are much more likely to be traumatized than if we go through a traumatic experience but we feel supported, we feel connected, we feel safe, somebody's got our back. All of these types of things diminish the likelihood of coming out of the traumatic experience with PTSD. And this is why it is so important in military settings. They talk about 
morale or unit cohesion, Mm -hmm. because this is the bond. You've heard of the bonds of brotherhood, right? The bonds of brotherhood is that care that you have for the person next to you. And the more you care for them and the more you experience you are actually cared for, then that actually gives resilience, gives a greater sense of safety or somebody's got your back. You're not alone. You're not abandoned. You're out there with somebody who's who cares for you. And that gives a diminished PTSD symptomology. And that's why this is emphasized so strongly. And what is another name for this bond of brotherhood or morale or cohesion? The other name for it is love, Mm. brotherly love. Mm. The more you love the people with you, then the less vulnerable you are to PTSD, which is a fear disorder. Uh, It's an anxiety disorder. And so love and fear are inversely proportional. And in our brains, neurobiologically, as we have our love circuits activate, they actually calm our fear circuits. And so this is one of the protective things. And this is what we found from the Vietnam War. Prior to Vietnam, uh, World War I, World War II, Korean War, they would send uh, military forces over in units. They would go over in companies. They'd go over in divisions. They would go over in groups, the groups you trained with. But in Vietnam, with the advent of rapid air Air transport. We could transport people from the United States to Vietnam in, in you know less than 24 hours. Right. If somebody would get killed and and a unit be short a person, they would fly that new person in and fill that slot, and they would be there. But they hadn't trained with these people, and they weren't familiar with the setting. And uh, these were considered the new guys, and they often did not bond and did not connect, and they felt isolated, alone, unsupported, and they had marked increase of PTSD. Further, when people would get combat stress, which was the precursor to developing PTSD. Combat stress, again, is a normal stress reaction to the high-stress situation. They would take them out and fly them home rather than actually keeping them with their unit where they had their, their support. They found that if you kept them with the unit, took them out of combat, but put them back with the unit cooks, let them have a hot shower, some good sleep, some hot meals for a few days or a week, they often reconstituted and got back out there on the line. But if you took them away from their brothers in arms, the ones they care about, the ones they love, then they would experience increasing sense of guilt and they would feel bad for abandoning the ones that they still care about who are still exposed to harm. So that then unconsciously made them feel the need to justify their abandoning their friends to avoid their sense of cowardice that they're tempted to feel, not that they're cowards at all. I'm not suggesting that. That's the psychological feeling that they would be struggling against. So then the traumatic symptoms get worse and more incalcitrant and harder to get rid of. And so they discovered that if you bring them in in units and bring them out in units where they stay with the people, that this also diminishes and gives resilience because you are, again, activating those love circuits in the brain. What happens in in PTSD, there are three aspects of the mind that get fractured or broken for those who develop PTSD. The trauma experience fractures or breaks their sense of self. They view themselves differently. They had their dreams. They had their values. They had their aspirations. They had their sense of strength, their manliness, their confidence. They can handle things. And in a wartime setting, they may either be called to act in ways they never thought they would act by killing somebody, et cetera, or become vulnerable and feel weaker than they ever felt before. So their sense of self gets broken and fractured, and they come back often not knowing who they are anymore. That has to be reconstituted and built. But additionally, they have a fractured or broken sense of time, where time doesn't process in the exact same way. The things of the past are not staying in the past. They're intruding into the present with flashbacks and intrusive thoughts and nightmares. And this is happening because what's happened to them in combat does not make sense to them. It doesn't fit their life story. It doesn't fit their values. And so their mind keeps 
reliving it because they're trying to make sense of it in a way that they can have an internal narrative that they can be at peace with or not at peace with those events. So it keeps reliving those events in ways that are stressful and it causes them all kinds of mental health problems. And then they have a fractured thinking or cognition where they have difficult time expressing themselves and processing these very difficult emotions. And so they may overreact in situations that causes real immediate relational stress or problems, but then they can't really talk it out because they're having problems articulating and working through their emotions. So fractured sense of self, fractured sense of time, and a fractured cognition or thinking processes. And understand why this happens. It happens because these types of stress reactions are the normal reaction to an abnormal situation. Mm -hmm. Combat is not how God designed us Mm -hmm. to function. We were not created to kill other people. Mm -hmm. And so when we do that, even if in our mind we think it's justified in some way because of of horrible crimes or, or whatever, we still have a stress reaction because it goes against our design. And thus this leads to the brokenness inside that I just described. And so what's needed to happen is we we need to heal these fractures in the mind to bring healing. And the most critical one is healing their sense of self or they're at peace with their self again. And this has historically been known for millennium that soldiers coming back for combat had this internal brokenness. And societies through all history have had this bringing soldiers back into the community, ceremonies to cleanse the soldiers from their guilt, their shame, and their responsibility so that they can have their sense of self back. And so the Roman soldiers returning from war would go through a cleansing ritual bath by the Vestal virgins who were the temple virgins, would purge them of their shame, their guilt, their crimes, or anything that that, that they would carry with them, and they would then reenter society. The Maasai warriors of East Africa had a purification rite conducted by the tribal shaman in which they would have this dance and they would have their little uh, smoke and incense and they would put the smoke over them and they would cleanse them and let them re-enter society. The Native Americans had their sweat lodge purification where they would go in and go through this ritual and they would be cleansed and all the, the impurity of combat would stay on the stones evaporating into the ether. And in the Bible, God prescribed a cleansing ceremony for the soldiers coming back from combat in ancient Israel. And you'll find it in Numbers 31. 19 through 21, where it says, all of you who have killed anyone or touched anyone who was killed must stay outside the camp for seven days. On the third and seventh days, you must purify yourselves and your captives, purify every garment as well as everything made of leather, goat, and so forth. And then the high priest would come and cleanse them with holy water, and they would be cleansed on the seventh day, and they could enter back into the camp and part of the people. In our modern society, we have done away with these societal cleansing processes that allow the soldiers to come back, go through a community ritual where all the community recognizes their sacrifice, recognizes the burden that they've carried, and then cleanses them from it. It is offloaded to God or to whatever the higher powers are, and they can have a reintegrated self that they don't have to carry the guilt and shame with them anymore. This is critical, and we don't do it. Well, how could we do that, doctor? Give us a little example of how that could happen in a community, a small community. I think community churches could do this if they understood the need, and I don't think they really do. But it would also have to be within the value system and belief system of the soldier. And what's happened in our society today, we've educated soldiers that there is no God, and so many soldiers come back and you offer this to them, they would just laugh at it. I'm not I'm not, I'm not superstitious. I, I don't believe in voodoo. I'm not going to go do some crazy, stupid thing like that. I, I'm an enlightened person. I know we just came from slime, and, and so they would 
would blow it off and they wouldn't do it. But in reality, we were created in the image of God. And, and there is a real consequence to going to war that is damaging. And this is quite healing and restorative. So what we've done instead is we have other therapeutic interventions that are brought to offer people, and they do have benefit, but I think this piece is left out. Medications can be beneficial, but many people don't respond to them. There are various types of therapies that have been shown to be helpful, but up to two-thirds of people don't respond to the therapies. And I think that's because those are looking on the physical side and the psychological side, but they're not actually dealing with the spiritual piece that is really at the heart, because I think it's a real spiritual violation of our sense of self when we kill other people or have done things that we are ashamed of or guilty for. And I think the spiritual cleansing, if it could be incorporated in, but you understand in our society with the antagonism to God and Christianity, that there is a real obstacle to bringing spiritual healing to people. Well, I learned something just mind-blowing today that the best defense against PTSD in the soldier is love. If that soldier has love in his or her heart, they're going to be less likely to be affected by the unnaturalness of war. And I would assume, Dr. Jennings, in closing here, that if we have love in our hearts and how we deal with the returning soldier, if our actions to that person is generated with love, not necessarily by church or by religion, but by love, that's going to be helpful too, would you say? There's no question about it. And, and and that's part of them forming their identity. There's the fear that they can't be accepted if people knew the horrible things that they've seen or done or yeah. participated in. And so that's part of that, again, community cleansing that many of the ancient societies did for their soldiers. Comeandreason.com is the website. Listener, I invite you to visit there. Lots of resources available for you from Dr. Jennings. He has made them available. That's comeandreason.com. Dr. Jennings, as always, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Appreciate it. Thank you, Charles. And listener, this is a program sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. Until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. <music>